Today's episode of the Nick Taylor Horror Show is brought to you by Diabolic DVD. For almost 20 years, Diabolic DVD has been the source for horror, cult, and weird cinema to customers around the world. Diabolic offers a one-stop shopping experience for all of your favorite labels, including Arrow, Synapse, Vinegar Syndrome, Severin, Mondo Macabro, Blue Underground, 88, and many more from all corners of the globe. So whether you're looking for the definitive version of Suspiria or trying to upgrade your crusty old DVD of Cannibal Holocaust, Diabolic is the owner-operated small business choice you've been craving. Shop online at DiabolicDVD.com. That's D-I-A-B-O-L-I-K-DVD.com. We're also brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee. It's the number one choice of horror fans worldwide. Nothing starts your day or night better than a delicious cup of Deadly Grounds. Whether you're hunting ghosts or fighting the next zombie apocalypse, any one of Deadly's 30-plus roasts will bring you to caffeine nirvana with the richest flavor you've ever had. Whether you're craving their hellhound roast, witch's brew, devil's night roast, or sinful delight, Order online at getdeadly.com for easy and safe shipping right to your door. We know that once you go deadly, you won't go back. Join the deadly revolution today. Be bold, be different, be deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee. Coffee to die for and zombie approved. Get some at getdeadly.com. Welcome to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Eric Powell is a writer, artist, and creator of multiple award-winning graphic novels, including Hillbilly, Chimichanga, and my personal favorite comic of all time, The Goon. I've been looking forward to speaking to Eric for a long, long time. His work is sensational, and it mixes such a potent combination of horror, pulp fiction, film noir, and fart jokes into fun and poignant stories with compelling characters and exceptionally beautiful art. When you read through a book from The Goon or from Hillbilly, you will marvel in awe at how Eric is able to not only write all of that wonderful dialogue, but create all of this sophisticated and incredible art in every single issue. If you haven't read The Goon or haven't read Hillbilly, do yourself a favor and grab some of them on Amazon. I promise you will not be disappointed. Even if you don't consider yourself a graphic novel fan, just get some. Eric has been putting out The Goon for over 20 years and has been working on a film adaptation with David Fincher and Tim Miller for quite some time. You can see the very exciting proof of concept video on Kickstarter. When you observe the volume of Eric's creative output, it's pretty incredible and inspiring. I had to know how he did it, how he was able to get so much done and put so much work out. We get into this as well as comics, creative theory, writing processes, and so much more on this very fun episode of the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Now, please welcome Eric Powell. Well, hey, man, I really, really appreciate this. Thank you so much for jumping on board. I've been a huge fan of yours for a really long time. I was in, um, it must have been, I don't know, 10 years ago, I was in Meltdown Comics on uh, on Sunset, and I literally asked the guys, hey, do you know of any pulpy horror comics? And they pointed me towards the goon. <laughs> first one I got was, somehow I went out of order, and I got, the first one I got was the... Um, the the Chinatown issue, which is not issue, and I just devoured that, loved it, and then dove right back in. And that is like the one that's not funny. And then I was like, holy shit, this is also funny. And just, you know, since then, 
just hook, line, and sinker with uh, with everything that you've done. So this is this is a tremendous honor. So thank you, thank you for jumping on well, the podcast. Thank you, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No, of course, ma'am. You've been a really busy guy lately. I just I'm amazed at how much you are able to put out. You know, in terms of uh, just in in terms of overall content, you just strike me as such a relentless creative. You know, between the goon coming back and then hillbillies going strong. You did a Superman comic. You have the other comics with um, under your Albatross label. I mean, there's a relentlessness to you that I just am totally fascinated by. So, I mean, it's I guess- called survival. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, you know, when you're working in indie comics, you have to, you have to stay, you know, you have to keep churning. You have to, you know, uh, keep material out there. So, one, I just love doing it. I, I have a lot of ideas I want to get out there. Um, but yeah, it's it's survival, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> yeah, well, that makes sense. But yeah, I mean, with with all of your material, there's there's just so many layers of storytelling and so many layers of themes and and all of that. I'm really I'm always curious about how people capture ideas. I'm sure throughout the course of a given day, you have so many like little disparate ideas that's probably you know, culminate into, into like an issue of goon or something else. So I'm, I'm wondering, what is your, what is your method for capturing ideas as you have them? Do you have like an Evernote folder or like, what's your way of keeping track of all the different, you know, ideas? Yeah, I, I have a, I have a, a, a reminder list on my phone of, uh, uh, just random thoughts, you know, random ideas that come to me. And, uh, usually stuff that actually finds it on the page, uh, it's way to the page, um, comes from, uh, two non-related ideas kind of combining, hmm. you know, where it's like, I, I've got an idea. It'd be, oh, it'd be fun to draw, you know, this. And then some other idea I had intertwines with it. Uh, uh or I find a connection, a connecting thread between the two things to make it, you know, uh, a, a little more interesting. And that's, that's more often than not how, uh, an idea actually sees the light of day. Interesting. If that makes any sense at all. Yeah. You know? So it's like I, two I, different concepts that seemingly yeah. unrelated somehow. I think that for the most part, like, uh, buzzard is an, is an example of that. If you know the character, I very well, buzzard, um, that was intended to be its own series. Like it was oh, just wow. going to be a standalone character in a different universe, different book. And then I had the idea, uh, well, what if I wove this guy into the zombie priest's history? Mm-hmm. Like he's a victim of the zombie priest and he's been hunting him. Uh, and that's where Buzzard <clears throat> worked his way into the goon. Oh, that's so it's cool. just kind of like two different ideas kind of linking up and becoming something a little bit bigger. Interesting. Yeah. Cause I always thought that there was a tremendous amount of depth to, to the, bu- the buzzard character and it felt like there was such backstory. You know, you can kind of tell that you had thought through a whole series worth of backstory for that character. Yeah. Was that the character you were going? And if you don't want to answer this, I understand. Was that the character <laughs> you were going to do the goon spinoff series on? Um, I'm not sure which what you're. I think I read somewhere that you were working on a goon spinoff series. 
Oh, we're, I'm doing a, it's, it's actually out this October. It's called the Lords of Misery. It's not a series. It's a, it's a short, uh, graphic novella. Oh, okay. Um, but it tells, uh, if people are familiar with the, you know, the series that we had a gap between the dark horse series. And then when I launched it, relaunched it at Albatross, there's kind of a continuity gap there where the goon left town and then he comes back in the Albatross series. So this, the Lords of Misery tells the story of what happened between those two events. Oh, okay, cool. And introduces some other characters and actually pulls a side character from the goon and makes it a, foreground character oh interesting and that's coming out when october oh okay okay cool so i mean as an are both an artist and a writer i mean again the just kind of relentless force of nature that you you seem to be as a creator um do you kind of abide by any sort of minimum when it comes to either art or writing is there any sort of like stephen king one thousand two thousand words a day that you, you try to hit or, or is it just on a project by project basis? I mean, how do you kind of keep your, the stokes of your writing fire alive? Yeah. With, uh, writing is harder for me than, than the drawing. The drawing kind of comes naturally, especially, you know, really? once I had everything laid out and I know where it's going, yeah. I can just, I can just zone out and draw, but the writing takes so much more uh, mental effort you know, and, and you're trying to solve a lot of problems. Uh, that slows the writing actually slows me down hmm. um, because I'll go, okay, well I I'll give myself this much time to write a script or whatever. And it never happens in that amount of time. Right. It's always like, it's always a lot of me staring at the wall and trying to figure out what's going on. <laughs> so, um, I try to give myself, uh, you know, limits per day, you know, where I, I want to get a page and a half done every day, you know, Um, but sometimes it goes faster and sometimes it goes slower. It's hard because you're dealing with something where it's not an assembly line. You're not manufacturing the same thing over and over every day. Every page is different. Yeah. Some pages are going to take more effort than others and some you can just fly through. So it's, it's hard to keep up that schedule, but you just kind of have to, you know, go with it. And you, you, you kind of have to know when you're hitting a point where it's like, okay, I've just got to let it go. Mm-hmm. I've got, I've done as much as I can do to this in the time frame I have. So I just got to, you know, wrap it up and let it go out the door, no matter <laughs> if I'm disappointed in it or not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The power of the deadline. I feel like it's so yeah. important for a lot of artists of, of all stripes. I, I'm not surprised to hear that your writing takes a really long time because there's such a nuance to, I mean, in in the case of Goon and in Hillbilly, there's such a nuance to the dialogue and the way that they talk. And it's just such an amalgamation of so many, so many different things. Like there's a kind of 1920s gangsterism, there's a pulp elements to it. And then there's just, there's all these other influences and it's complete, like Hillbilly is completely different in terms of the overall, you know, dialogue tone and, and the writing and all of it. it. But equally is deep in terms of having just all these, these different influences. So I'm curious, how do you kind of arrive at a writing voice for the different IPs that you work on? Because they're know, so think, well done and well, so thank deep. You. Um, I don't know. I think, uh, I was always a pretty quiet kid. Um, <laughs> people seem to, they read my work and get a different perspective of me than, than, you know, I, the actual person. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I've had a lot of people come up to me at conventions and, and say, wow, you're, you're not as crazy as I thought you would be, <laughs> you know? Uh, but I think, you know, just being kind of an introverted, quiet kid when I was younger, you tend to, to listen more. Hmm. And I, you know, you listen to the way people talk, you, you know, you listen to, uh, you know, dialogue, you know, whether it's people around you or movies or things like that. Um, and I don't know, I, I guess my imagination works in a way where characters become pretty, uh, concrete in my head, you know, like it doesn't take, if you ask me a question, say, how would the goon respond to this question? You know, it's like, oh, he would say this. It's just, you know, it's not, it's, it's just there, you know, it's just like, I know how he would respond to something uh, without even really thinking that much about it. But uh, yeah, it's, I do take a lot of uh, pain with the dialogue though, to, to get that kind of like snappy uh, kind of a friends arguing kind of, you know, um, back and forth with it. Yeah. Um, Hillbilly is pretty easy. Cause I grew up in the South. Mm-hmm. It's like, I just take, I just make an extreme version of everything I grew, grew up with, you know, as far yeah. as dialogue goes, <laughs> keep it authentic. Uh, so, so, I mean, I've grown up with that slang my entire life. So it's, it's not hard to, to write the hillbilly dialogue. Um, and, Hillbilly is a lot of fun too, just because I, I set out to do just a straight out fantasy book. So, uh, taking, a you know, 17 or 1800s, uh, Appalachian setting and, uh, you know, just mixing some fantasy into it. Um, it's been a lot of fun, uh, kind of mixing those genres. Yeah, I, f- I feel like that's that the goon is is similar in how just mixing genres, you come right. up with something completely new and completely different. It's like an alchemical process almost. Yeah, I, I, it's kind of the same thought process went into the goon that is as hillbilly, where it's I, I took, uh, uh, you know, kind of horror and noir and mixed them together in a kind of a, a weird way and then um kind of did the same thing with with hillbilly mixing fantasy and uh appalachian folklore but yeah uh, two different ends of the spectrum but kind of the same thought process right right yeah and i feel like when you mix things that are that different it just there's something very powerful about it and something very unique about about being able to do that for sure I think it, it it makes it a little more fun in a world building kind of way because it's not just, you know, anybody can go, I'm going to do a Tolkien fantasy, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, it's been done a million times and there are authors out there that do it really well, but it's, it's not, uh, it's just the same world, you know, that you're entering into over and over again. Uh, whereas, you know, with, with Hillbilly, uh, those genres create an extra layer to it, an extra mm. like uh, interesting aspect that, you know, I, and I, I like, I tend to like stories like that, that mix um, environments and, and uh, create something a little new. Yeah. Well, on the topic of world building, I mean, I'm really curious about, about how <laughs> a lot of creators, particularly comic creators are able to create 
worlds with as much depth and you know compelling elements um i mean in the case of obviously i keep going back to goon and hillbilly but those worlds are you just you can you can feel them they're so different but you can just tell that it's they've all been completely and totally thought out so how how do you approach world building i mean do you start with any sort of a story bible you know about the time period or you know the 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 rules and the laws of 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 that world or is it something that you just kind of intuitively know and feel i mean what what is your approach to building those worlds yeah i like the dialogue i tend to to work uh, basically off of instinct you know mm-hmm. where it's like i feel like this is right uh as far as like any kind of story bible or anything like that i i tend to only uh really focus on that stuff uh is if it has something to do with the plot. Okay. So if it's something story related, then it's like, I'll build out a little bit of the history. Um, but, uh, I tend to just go, okay, this is my world, you know, and then I'll just run with it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It feels refreshing that there's not, it seems like you don't have the agenda to kind of explain certain elements of the world. And I think that even makes it stronger. Yeah. Yeah, in the goon, I don't explain anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like uh, I, I let the I let the the story that I want to tell be what it's going to be. Right. Whether it's really over the top and goofy, or it's kind of like sad and tragic, like Chinatown. Um, and I, I I intended the book to be that way. I wanted to do something where I could get away with absolutely anything I wanted to do, and you know that. That is what uh, uh, the goon has been for me. I've I've been able to really you know play around and 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 uh, experiment quite a bit. But uh, yeah, it's definitely um, uh, been a fun playground. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, now that you brought some new writers into the fold when it comes to the goon, were there any kind of um, that you have to? It sounds like you were working with people, obviously, who clearly really just understood the world and understood the goon. But were there any sort of things you had to explain to them about the world and the characters just to make sure that they were you know, operating from the same place as you were? Or did it all just naturally, organically work? Yeah, I mean, I uh, <clears throat> the guys I've let write the goon so far have, have not needed a whole lot of handholding. I yeah. would definitely uh, do a lot of editing. Uh mostly dialogue stuff okay um because like i said i know how the characters react to something i've been doing them for for 20 years so it's kind of uh i i definitely have a uh a set uh you know standard in my mind of what should or they should or should not say yeah so i would i would edit the dialogue a, a bit but uh I would, I haven't had to do it too much. Just, uh, you know, some places here or there and, you know, with, uh, uh, Roger Landridge, um, he's, he's British. So there were a few instances where I think he was using some slang that I was like, well, that's not really, uh, it's not really, (laughs) doesn't really fit the characters here. You know, it's more of a British thing, but, uh, you know, we would find an equivalent. Yeah. Was it difficult to kind of hand over your baby to your 20 year old baby to, to other writers or did it seems like it felt like a natural thing for you? No. Cause I was so overworked. Oh, I was yeah. like, <laughs> I needed help. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I was so ready for someone else to come in because I was juggling so much stuff. Okay. But uh, yeah, I think everyone did a really good job and I'm, I'm pretty happy with the, the results. Oh, that's great. So, I mean, as far as your um, kind of origin story, as it were, it's, uh, um, I mean, I, I love the idea of you starting your own label because a lot of publishers were rejecting the goon and you wanted to, and they were saying it was too weird or too out there. So you just basically started your own comic label. I feel like yeah. that's so huge and inspirational. And I think without that sort of willingness and that sort of initiative, there's so many unique voices that just would not, would not come to light. So, I mean, for people not as familiar with that story, I mean, do you mind just kind of humming a few bars as to as to how you were sure. able to get the goon off the ground? Because I feel like it's really important for a lot of you know, creators. Yeah. So <clears throat> around the, the late 90s, I, I had been working in comics. I, I was doing uh, a few fill-in jobs here and there. Um, I'd been doing some inking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I... I didn't feel like I was being given material that really showed off what I was capable of. And you got to remember in the nineties, there was definitely a popular style. There was that, you know, kind of like nineties West coast thing going on with all the cross hatching and everything. And uh, I was not that I was like a throwback. I was trying to draw like Bernie Wrightson and, you know, uh, Richard Corbin and guys like that. Yeah. So my, my style wasn't uh, very mainstream and I don't think my sensibilities were very mainstream. So any stuff I was trying to do myself, it just kind of got rejected and thrown aside because it didn't fit what people thought was popular, you know? Uh, so then my, my inking work started drying up. My fill in work started drying up and I went to a convention, uh, the old Chicago Comic-Con that was at the Rosemont. And uh, I think I did one sketch the entire weekend. Whoa. And no one cared. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, had, I had a table in Artist Alley and, and I could not have been more, uh, felt more unwanted there. Oh, I man. just did. No one cared that I was there. I, I remember like it got to a point where I was just twiddling my thumbs and was like, well, I'll just do some sketches and set them out on the table. Table, maybe someone will want to buy them. I remember doing. I think uh, it sticks pretty vividly in my mind. I think I did like a Doctor Doom and a Silver Surfer or something, and sat them out on my table and wrote little like you know, twenty five bucks or something, mm-hmm. whatever it was, on the corner. Came home with them. Oh no man! No one even. <laughs> no one even cared. And so it was about a, it's about an eight hour drive from Chicago to Nashville. And I made that drive back home from that convention alone. Oh, hell. So I was like, well, I'm not getting any more work. No one cares. No one likes my work. And uh, so I guess this is the end. And, you know, I, I started thinking, you know, started thinking about like, what am I going to do? I, what kind of a job am I going to get now? Because all I've ever thought about doing was comics mm-hmm. and it just seemed like it wasn't going to work. And then on that eight, that, that long drive home, I made the decision. It's like, you know what? I, I still feel like I've not been able to show what I'm capable of. I don't feel like I'm being given a chance. So, you know what? I'm going to give it one more shot. I'm going to self-publish. Um, and put the goon out there and, and see if I can 
you know, at least when I, when I go out, it'll be on my terms. Yeah. I'll, I'll put out something that I can at least be proud of. So you'd been sitting on the idea for the goon for a while at this point. Yeah. I've been trying to get people to, to publish it. Oh, okay. Um, and just no one, like you said, no one was, was into it. It just wasn't, it, it wasn't, you know, uh, he, he wasn't a character with big shoulder pads and, and spikes <laughs> and a big gun and, you know, tiny feet. Right. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, uh, ended up getting a loan and, uh, self-publishing. And then, uh, there was a, like an immediate internet response. Uh, people started talking about it online. People started reviewing it. And wow. then uh, I had only gotten a couple issues out before Dark Horse uh, contacted me about picking it up. Wow, that's great. Yeah, it's a, uh, I, I, and it's one of those you got to pay your dues kind mm-hmm. of stories. You know, you got to you got to keep fighting. Yeah. No one's going to, you know, no one's going to just drop it in your lap. You got to work for it. Yeah. And then 20 years later, here you are with a prolific amount of Goon comics. Still working for it. (laughs) But uh, looking at a a movie deal, are you, I mean, I can edit this out, but are you sick and tired of talking about the movie at this point or can we get into it it a little? It is what it is. You know, I accept it. The only thing that bothers me is when uh, people online will go, hey, what's up with the movie? Right. And it's like, you got to know, even if I could tell you something, which I can't, I'm not going to talk to you, talk to a random person on the internet about this. Right. You know? And it's like, what do you expect me to say? I can't answer your question. Right. So, uh, that, that happens a lot. And it's like, I'll, I'll post something like, (laughs) please, please donate some money to this kid with cancer. And in the comments, Hey, what's up with the movie? <laughs> you know, uh, it's yeah. like, man, have some social awareness mm. or something, you know? Yeah. 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 It's internet hawks. Yeah. They're relentless. Well, I feel like now there's, there's such an interest in uh, like adult focused animation, you know, right. which is really exciting. So yeah. yeah, it feels like it was a perfect time. Well, I'm curious I, about, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I feel uh, we're still moving forward with the movie. Uh, and I feel like we're in a really good place right now, probably better than we ever have been. That's so great. I'm, I'm pretty hopeful that, you know, pretty optimistic that it's actually going to happen. I don't know when, but yeah, once I read that Tim Miller was involved, I, yeah. I got really excited. I thought, okay, that's, it's in good hands. You know, yeah, Tim and, and Jeff Fowler and David Fincher have been there from the beginning and they're still super gung ho about it. So uh, I'm, you know, those guys have just been amazing. That's great. Um, I and I mean I wouldn't still be trying to get it made with them after you know over ten years I think at this point uh, if it wasn't for the fact that those guys I feel like they they really understand it and get it and get what it needs to be to work yeah so um, I feel I, I feel like I fell into a really good situation I just really wanted to you know get across the finish line yeah. No, I mean, it sounds like it's just a labor of love on your end and on their end, because, I mean, I think that they see that it would just be a blissful movie, you know, just 90 minute and then subsequent sequels. And yeah, I mean, it would be it would be incredible. Fingers crossed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's great. I mean, I'm curious, were there any other incarnations of 
of what the movie could be before you arrived at that kind of hyper real animated style? Did you ever consider like a Sin City style live action or actually, a series you know, or straight cartoon? In the in the in the very beginning, I thought the goon would make great stop motion oh. animated movie. Um, but that's you know, there's so few of those, and it, it's it's you know takes so long to produce that I you know it's not really anything that I pursued. Yeah, because I thought you know it'd be damn near impossible to get that you know made. Uh, but. Um, you know, of course, there was a there. There were a lot of people sniffing around um, with interest for a live action movie, but I didn't think it was uh, any kind of. I didn't think there was anyone there that could actually get it made. Um, so when uh, uh, I actually had, I personally had some doubts about doing an animated uh, mm. movie because I did think there would that it would be hard to, to get it made because there wasn't, especially at that time, there wasn't uh, a lot of adult animation going on. Right. Um, but I was like, you know, uh, at that point in time, uh, Tim and Jeff hadn't done anything in any films. Uh, so this was way before Deadpool and oh, Sonic okay. and stuff. So, right. um, but I knew who David Fincher was. And I was like really excited about that idea of working with him. Yeah. Um, but I was still really iffy about it. And then uh, Blur sent me a their demo reel. And uh, it was amazing. And I, I, I instantly after watching it, I got super excited and was like, yeah, I want to talk to these guys about making an animated movie. And uh, The Goon just, it needs to, it could, it could work as a live action movie, but I feel like in my heart, it really needs to be animated. Yeah. Now I tried imagining what Frankie would look like if it was live action. Like would his eyes yeah, still just, be you white? You would just cast a guy. You would just cast a guy. Yeah. You know? And it would lose the kind of soul of your drawings. And I don't know. I feel like so much would get lost in translation. Like I feel like you need yeah. to have that complete and total creative control and artistic control that only animation would be able to give you. Yeah. Uh, something would definitely get lost. You'd have to make up for it in the dialogue, you know, and, and mm -hmm. just really make the character over the top. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think in order to to really get the vibe of the books, it would have to be animated. Yeah, yeah, and the style of animation that Blur did that um, did the the Kickstarter um, sample animation, right? right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, yeah. They just seem to completely nail it. You know, that, oh, that yeah. overall style and it has realistic textures, but it still has that your, you can tell that it's, it's your style and it's, it's right. your art. It's, it's like, they just took my drawings and, and made it, you know, 3d. Yeah. What did it feel like when you first saw that? I, I tell you the first, it, it was amazing, but the first, the, the, time I really geeked out and almost started crying was <laughs> I, I was, I went to the, 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 we did a little recording session with um, Clancy Brown and Paul Giamatti mm -hmm. uh, for the test footage. And so they let me come out uh, for it. And uh, the first time I heard Paul Giamatti scream knife to the eye, <laughs> I was like, holy shit. I can't believe I'm listening to this. I can't believe I'm sitting in a room with with uh, all these guys and these actors, and I'm hearing 
him say, you know, the catchphrase of my character. So that it was a bizarre experience. That's so cool. That's really cool. Yeah, man. I, I, me as uh, along with many, many others can't, cannot wait. It'll be worth the wait though. You know, no doubt about that. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you uh, recently wrote uh, somewhat of an autobiography. Uh, I'm curious, in in the process of doing that, were there any major creative lessons that presented themselves that kind of you were able to discover looking at your life retrospectively? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about lessons. (laughs) (laughs) Or insights of any kind. Yeah, no, I, I, I set out to write it. I wanted to do this bizarre uh, kind of art book that was also a, uh, a humorous biography. Yeah. So I took actual like events from my life, but I'm assuming that you've read it since you're asking about it, but it's written from the point of point of view of a, uh, a, a crime writer or a psychologist. Mm-hmm. And he's just calling me the biggest pile of garbage <laughs> through the out the entire book so that was i felt it was fun and it took it takes some of the uh ego out of you know writing a biography on yourself you know or some yeah. autobiography um so it was like i was able to talk about some of these things but also not sound like a self-absorbed you know jerk right i just made myself sound like a regular jerk <laughs> now I love how you just see goons face the minute you open it and he's like, you, you actually spent money on this. Like what is yeah. wrong with you? Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I think that, I think that self deprecating humor is like a defense mechanism from growing up. Cause it's like, if you put yourself down, you know, you take the, you take the chance for anybody else to do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I learned that as a kid too. I was very just introverted, geeky kid. You know, loved my horror movies, and that was about it. But uh, yeah, definitely learned when you if you make fun of yourself, it's yeah, you deter bullies or you know other. But it's just it's it's just like nothing that you say is going to affect me because I've already put myself down worse than you can. Yeah, you know, kind of thing. And you know, I grew up in in rural Tennessee, so it was like uh, you know. And and I love science fiction and horror, so I was real weird in uh, a comparison to the the rest of the kids around. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, know. man. Me too. I was the only one I knew who loved horror movies and horror comics and stuff like that as a kid. It's but yeah. you know it's those weird kids who don't have like a tribe that kind of have to. F- that I, I don't know. I feel like it forces you in a way to uh, to be more creative and to actually do something with yeah. those inclinations that you have. Because all the other kids are into sports and they love yeah. sports, but they don't go pro. And you know, none of those no. kids go pro. <laughs> you know, it's the weird kids yeah. who are into stuff that nobody else is yeah. into that kind of have something to prove and need to take that passion somewhere. So yeah. I don't know. I look back fondly was, at childhood. Yeah. I was able to find my group, you know, I found a bunch of metalhead kids and oh, fit nice. right in. So <laughs> that was my group. But, you know, when I was young, it was like everybody, uh, everybody Dukes of Hazard was really big at the time. <laughs> everybody wanted to play Dukes of Hazard. And I was like, anybody want to play Star Wars? You know, I, so nobody was, wanted uh, to play Star Wars, man. That's crazy. No, they all, they were all, uh, uh, Bo and Luke Duke. 
That was my that was my environment. <laughs> nice. Well, what were some of your most formidable influences as a as a child that still to this day echo in your work? Uh, I think the the Rankin Bass uh, cartoons, the, the stuff like The Hobbit mm-hmm. and uh, some of their more fantasy driven stuff. I think artistically, those were a big influence on me because I drew, I remember uh, drawing these monsters over and over again, and they kind of look like the goblins from The Hobbit mm-hmm. in the Rankin-Bass cartoon. And uh, I think that really, and if you look at some of my some of my monsters today with the bug eyes and everything, they, they definitely have that kind of Rankin-Bass fantasy cartoon look to them. Yeah. Um, uh, but I was definitely... Uh, it was all about movies when I was a kid. It was, you know, I, I, I loved the, the old, you know, episodes of twilight zone. And then there was always some kind of a uh, sci-fi or horror movie coming on Sunday afternoons. And I, I watched all that stuff, you know, religiously. Yeah. Um, as you know, before cable and, uh, everything, we just got, you know, local channels. So it was, uh, you know, Saturday night movies or uh, Sunday afternoon movies. Mm-hmm. A lot of Godzilla. Nice. A lot of stuff like that. Steady diet of horror and sci-fi. Yeah. Did like noir and pulp come into the picture at a young age or was that something later, you got into that's, later? That's more of a thing where I, I started getting into it when, you know, uh, uh, I started out, you know, more monster movie kind of thing. And then as I got older, uh, I started getting late teens into my twenties, you know, you start to, uh, appreciate, you know, may, maybe your, your, uh, spectrum gets a little wider, you right. know, and you start to appreciate more artistic things. And, uh, and, um, I started getting into, uh, uh, noir and crime movies and, you know, of course the Godfather films and Martin Scorsese and stuff like that. Um, n- and started really getting a, a love for that uh, uh, that genre, and I had always had kind of that uh, an affinity for the 1930s and 40s, that kind of uh, uh, snappy dialogue and yeah, like His Girl um, Friday, just the, and... just the vibe of it, just the visual right. vibe of it. Everybody in a suit, and you know, even the bums looked cool. Yeah, you know, even like <laughs> a hobo had a hat and a jacket on. You know, right. it's like they. It, it was just a different when different people time. gave a damn. Yeah. <laughs> Even a hobo. Wears yeah. A suit and a, <laughs> you know, hat. But, uh, but yeah, that, it, that kind of came along later. And then, you know, obviously those two worlds collided into the goon. Very cool. It's funny how all this stuff just eventually finds its way into your work. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Eric, I, I can't thank you enough, man. This was, uh, this was super duper cool and, uh, awesome. yeah, really, really appreciate oh. it. So thank you. What are you oh, working on you. next? I'm sorry. What are you working on next? Uh, we're doing another hillbilly series. Great. Um, that will be, uh, I forget when it's out. I think it's November. Has any, uh, uh, you're probably not allowed to talk about this. Any talks of anything hillbilly animated or, uh, I probably wouldn't go. I mean, I wouldn't say never, but right. um, I probably wouldn't go animated with Hillbilly. I think that that would actually lend itself a little bit better to having a, a live action thing. Oh, that would be interesting. Um, but, uh, you know, no deals are signed yet. Yeah. So. <laughs> right. Well, I'll be anxiously <laughs> awaiting it. 
Thank you. Uh, thanks. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course, man. Um, huge, huge admirer of your work. So yeah, it was uh, definitely great to finally talk to you. Yeah, good talking to you too. Cool. Thanks, Eric. Take care, man. Be safe. Thank you. All right. Big thanks as always for listening and another big thank you to Eric for being on the show today. Really, really enjoy talking to him as uh, I've been a fan for a really, really long time. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with your friends and family on social media? Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at I'm Nick Taylor. That's I am Nick Taylor and on Twitter at the same handle. Thanks again for listening to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Thank you.